One of the first problems encountered by a young person who gets serious about their faith in Jesus Christ is that they're told correctly by parents or mentors or pastors like me or Sunday school teachers, they are told, let the Bible be the thing that guides your decisions. As you try to navigate life, as you try to navigate what it's like to be a teenager in 2021, let the Bible be your guide. And that sounds like good advice because it is. The Bible should be your guide. But what a teenager quickly realizes is, as they go through the Bible, a lot of the questions that they have real issues with were not addressed in Bible times, right? This Bible was, this book was written long ago, and so they've got issues about whether or not it's right or wrong for a Christian to do this, and, and, and some Christians say, oh, it's, it's absolutely no problem. You have Christian liberty. You should feel freedom to do this. Other Christians say, not so fast. This isn't a good thing, and, and so a young person will come and say, well, I I don't want to sin, and some Christians say this is okay, and some say this issue, you know, is fraught with problems. And by the way, these are usually gray areas. You know, no young person has ever come to me and said, uh, uh, hey, Pastor, uh, uh, some of my friends say this is okay, and, and some of my friends say it's not. What, what do you think? Uh, what does the Bible say uh, uh, about being a serial killer? You know, <laughs> the Bible says you need new friends now, okay, right? Like, no, they never do that. But it's these, it's these gray areas, right? And so you've got these young people that are frustrated. Here's the thing. If you're not careful, you never really outgrow that frustration. You, you don't acknowledge it. I think, you know, some people are so set in their convictions that we just assume that they read it in the Bible and that's it and that settles it. But there's, there's so many things that the Bible, it just, it just doesn't specifically address. What do you do with those? What's fascinating is every generation has their own set of gray areas. And the ones that come from years ago look quaint and almost silly now, but we're utterly blind to our own gray areas, I'm convinced. Like my parents and grandparents talk about um, whether or not it was a sin for a Christian to play cards. Uh, I heard a story on the, uh, after the first service. Somebody was talking about how their grandparents could not believe that so-and-so wore pants to church, right? Yeah, you tell a teenager that, and they're like, well, yeah, what are they supposed to be, right? Right? Some of you are nodding because you have grandma, right? Uh, uh, can, you, can, can a Christian go to a dance? You know, what about the, the dance hall? For my generation, dance hall's fine. Skating rink, den of iniquity. You know, dance hall's fine. You're better off at the dance hall, playing cards, than going. But that, that was my town. That's a when I was in college, right, the gray areas changed. And the gray areas, uh, I remember being at the Baptist Student Union at Murray State University in Bible studies and really wrestling through. And really, I mean, the point is I'm making, we were Christians. We were trying to follow Christ. We were really trying to discern what's right, what's wrong. And, the, and should a Christian join a fraternity or not? Well, you're not going to find it. You can't just go to the Bible and be like, okay. I mean, it was written in Greek, ironically, but it, it's different, you, Right? Uh, should a, oh, th- this will tell you about the particular cultural moment I grew up in. And you'll either know the weirdness of all this or you won't. Let those with ears hear. Is it right or wrong for a Christian to pirate music from Napster? <laughs> you'll either, that either, okay, if, if not, just ask someone in a very specific Gen X range. They'll help you with that. What about smoking? 
or going to clubs or R-rated movies. I remember having this discussion, you know, in New York. I'm watching this like, no. One of the ways to teach this, by the way, if you ever want to drive this point home, is get a group of Christians and frame. I had a list of like 30 issues. When I teach this in a seminar, I have like 30 issues. And they're all these gray areas, and I'll let no one have any gray area. You must, 100% of the time, it is always right for a Christian to do this, or it is always wrong in every can't, in every in every case, and I would name the issue right or wrong, and it would be like, uh, well, well, wait, wait, wait. I'm like, no, no waiting. You must choose, and they it, they really quickly got the point. Well, it's not always easy to choose. I remember having this really weird discussion between these Christians. One said R-rated movies were fine, but PG-13 weren't because R-rated was Passion of the Christ and Braveheart. And PG-13 was these uh, filthy comedies. And I'm going, what planet have I? I'm just going to go get some music from Napster. The point is, the point, is everybody with me, right? So those were my gray areas. Uh, nowadays, what, what about now? We're going to be a little more blind to these, and even, you'll see throughout this, I want to give examples, but if they're too on the nose, I run the risk of defeating my own sermon. What I'm after today is helping God's people think like the free. And the last thing free people need is another burden of legalism put on them. I want you to think like the free. So I'm not going to give you a list of rules today. Uh, because, and, and, but, but nonetheless, if you give no modern examples, then the whole thing, you run the risk of just flying over everybody's head. So I, I'm, I'm trying to do this delicately. But for example, um, the issues keep changing. States are legalizing marijuana. You, you can look in your concordance. It, you know, it ain't in there. Uh, uh, I read an article, uh, or been reading articles about how, many, uh, how much materialism is okay for a Christian. I mean, when, 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 is it, when is it sin for you to own, I used to say, there's only five days in the week uh, the work week, and some of you have more than five sweaters in an age of hunger. How could you, right? So your sixth sweater, your sixth sweater is sin? I mean, like, is that, did everybody see my point? Like, so now it's materialism. This is a big gray area, I think, for Christians. I, I, I read an article this week. Whether or not it is ethical for Christians to, in, to uh, purchase Bitcoin, whether or not it is ethical. Now, these are not moral issues that they struggled with 100 years ago, Right? But here you have Christians who are thoughtfully trying to follow Christ, and, and you're not going to find nowhere in the thou shalt Dogecoin. There it is. First opinions. So, like, it's not in there, right? Uh, and by the way, if you stop me afterward and be like, oh, Bitcoin's in there. It's revelation. It's the mark. I'm, I, I'm, I can't, okay? I can't even. I'm going to stop you. Everybody get it, right? So here's what happens. Here's what happens. If you're not careful, if you don't have a tool for discernment, if you don't, then, then you yourself are just left to sort of pick a position, a conviction on these things. And what are we going to do to teach the next generation? If you're not careful, you're going to end up, and some of you have ended up in legalism. Legalism. Legalism is an attempt to get leverage on a holy God by your good moral behavior. Let me say it again. Legalism is an attempt to get leverage on a holy God. See, God, you have to bless me because I've been such a good person. I not only followed the rules in the Bible, I followed some rules we made up. They're not in there, but we made them up just to follow them. Here's why legalism is never going to get you where you want to be. It's going to only lead to one of two places. It's only going to lead to pride, right? You can see that. I'm following all the rules. Why aren't these poor people, they're not following the rules. How dare they? Pride or despair. I failed the rules. And I, you know a lot of legalists that are either prideful or utterly fi filled with despair. 
See, so legalism's no good. So to avoid legalism, a lot of people, they say, we're under grace. We're not under the law. We're under Christ. And so the pendulum, instead of going here, where does the pendulum go? The pendulum goes, well, if we're not going to be legalistic, whoosh. And the pendulum swings all the way to the opposite of legalism has a pretty thick Greek name, I mean, Greek root. The, the opposite of legalism is called antinomianism. Antinomianism, anti, against, nomos, the law. Utterly lawlessness, right? So these are the people that are like, well, I don't want to be a legalist, so I'm, I'm free in Christ. And they're living a life of total debauchery and, you know, getting wasted every weekend because, hey, I'm free in Christ, Ugh, right? So that, that's not it, right? So if it's not legalism and it's not antinomianism, then uh, where do most folks land? It's just traditionalism. Why do you believe what you believe about Christian ethics? I guess I never thought about it. We just always, we always did. Uh, I, that's what I was taught. That's what my preacher told me growing up. That, 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 that's just what we were told. Well, how do you know what you were taught is from the scriptures? What if it's actually legalism or antinomianism? What we need is a, a tool, a grid, a framework. Because the Bible doesn't, again, the, young people are often frustrated because the stuff they care about is not in the Bible, and the stuff they don't care about is. So they come to me and they're like, hey, what does the Bible say? I mean, right or wrong, for a Christian to smoke weed, like, what's the deal? Like, I'm, I'm asking, honestly, and if you think these are not, these are insane if 100 years ago, but everybody's, every generation's issue is going to be different. What's your conviction on that, and where do you get it in Scripture? What's well, not in there? But no young person has ever come to me, ever, and be like, Pastor Tom, I need to know what the Bible says about something. What, buddy? I've been up all night. What is it? How many cubits and a span high is the wall of a tabernacle? Finally! Like, yes! Turn with me to First Kings, buddy! Let's do it! Okay, you understand. So if the issues you're, you're concerned about are not in there, and the issues you're not concerned about are, what does the Bible give us? Because I thought the pastor isn't the word of God living and active? Isn't it eternal? Doesn't Isaiah 40 say the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever? Yes. So now we go right back to where we started. If the word of God is eternal and the issues we face are generational and we need ever increasing nuance and complexity because the issues are getting more and more complex, the only place we can go is the word of God. The word of God is not going to address necessarily your issue specifically. Sometimes it does. Should we murder? Uh, Thou shalt not, in fact, murder. That's in there. But other times, it doesn't. And we need, we need to know, what would, what would the Bible say if this issue were around in Bible times? And for that, we need a tool of discernment. So what the Bible does is instead of addressing every issue, because think about it, the Bible is for every culture, for every time. The, the whole world couldn't contain the amount of books if the Bible were, 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 were to tackle every single issue. So what the Bible does is lay out principles. And from those principles, you can develop a core conviction about any issue. So here comes the big promise. On the back of your bulletin, you'll see there's some places for notes. Normally there's just blank sermon notes, but if you look at the back, um, and if you didn't get a bulletin, you may want to sneak out and, and grab one because you've got blanks to fill in. Now watch this. By the time you leave today, you will have in your hands a tool by which you may take any issue, I don't care how crazy, I don't care how hotly debated, take any issue you want, and you can work it through what I call the Corinthian grid. Something like this was handed to me when I was a freshman in college at a Bible study, and they're like, here, this will help you make decisions. And I was like, oh, 
Okay, I have taken it. I've modified it a little. But you can take any issue. You work it through the Corinthian grid. And at the end, you will have not a, here's what my mama said. Here's what my preacher said. Here's what my grandpa said. Here's what the legalists say. Here's what the antinomians say. You'll be able to say, here's biblically a foundation for this conviction. Here's why I've arrived at this. Because you've been thoughtful. And so you have here uh, uh, an attempt, a tool to help us discern. I call it the Corinthian grid, how free people think. I'm going to say this now. I'm going to say it again at the end. The worst thing that could happen would be for you to walk out of here thinking now you've got a whole new set of rules. If you are a Christian, you are free in Christ. This tool is how to think through how to use that freedom, how to honor it. So let's get to it. The grid has six parts. Each one is going to have a principle and a question, and they're going to follow this section in Corinthians. And when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 1, y'all, you could have heard a pin drop. When, when, you remember, when Paul wrote this letter, they wrote Paul with all their concerns. Paul wrote back this letter. And he'd been ticking off each concern as it goes down the list. And, and remember, they read this letter to the church. So imagine it would have looked just like this, or maybe they were in a big house or something, and Paul's reading the letter. And when, they, when Paul gets to the part about like getting, getting along with each other, they're like, yeah, 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 blah, blah, blah. And then he gets to 1 Corinthians 3, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he gets to sexual morality, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, your body's a temple, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he talks about marriage, yeah, blah, blah. And then chapter 8, they're like, oh, yeah. This is what we've been waiting on. Now, remember how I told you every generation's issue is wildly different? This issue will make no sense to us, but it made all the sense in the world to that Corinthian church. It was the hot button issue. It was the issue that had divided the church. And you can imagine the church on two sides just looking down at each other when it came to the issue of food sacrificed to idols. Now, concerning food offered to idols. What on earth? What made that the hot button issue? You had all this side of the church and they're divided and they're looking over at that other side of the church and they're going, you bunch of legalists. You're just a bunch of legalists. Why? Because everybody knows idols aren't anything. So pagan is a, uh, Corinth is a pagan city. And so there's all these temples to these Roman gods and goddesses. Two, two, two things happening here. Two, two main issues that they stumbled over. One, a temple was not only a place of worship, it was a social gathering point. The closest modern equivalent to an ancient Roman temple is a restaurant. This is how you would host a dinner party. This is how you would invite your friends over. You'd go to the temple and you would bring your own animal to be sacrificed. Massive. And uh, you'd sacrifice the animal. Part, part of the sacrifice would go to the temple. That was basically how you paid your bill for, for using the temple and paying your restaurant bill, okay? That's how the priest got paid. The other part of the animal was used to feed your dinner party. Well, there was always stuff left over. And so the leftover part, they, it became a wholesale grocery, they would sell that to local Corinthian grocers. So in the food markets, you'd have food that had been sacrificed to idols. They couldn't do it. It was a way for the, another revenue stream for the temple. Everybody got it? So the two issues were, are you even allowed to go into an idol's temple to eat? And then certainly when you're in Corinthian publics and you see like food that's been sacrificed to idols, I mean, can a Christian eat idol food? Church was divided over this. Divided. Because on this side, you got people going, an idol isn't real. Hello? An idol is a block of wood. See that stone statue to uh, Aphrodite or to Athena, whoever? That's a stone statue. That's all it is. So because idols aren't real, 
mm, the steak is, mm, you bunch of legalists, how are you going to deny me, right? And meanwhile, they're over here going, how can you eat that Satan food? What are you doing? That's made this sacrifice to idol. And I saw you. I saw you in the grocery store. Because what happened? Because you pulled up Corinthian grocery store, and you got to the meat section, and you realized this meat that is fresh right there, butcher in, in the store, that's 15 drachmas per omer. Or whatever. <laughs> 15 bucks a pound. And then over here, you see all this meat, and it's wrapped up, and it's got a sticker on it. It says, clearance, it's only five bucks a pound. Why? It's not as fresh. It came from yesterday. There was a big feast over at the idol. And because this food's already been sacrificed to idols, it's only five bucks a pound. You're a mature Christian. Your first thought is, idols aren't real. (laughs) But that's ten bucks a pound. I am (sighs) omnifrugal, thrifty. And I realized that's a savings of 10 bucks a pound. That's $10 I can give to the poor. And so you just load it up, right? And you get to the cash register, and there's a little baby Christian who was just saved out of this whole idolatry. And they're watching you, and you're just, hey, come over. We'll have some steak, you know? And they're like, I saw a deacon in the grocery store. He was buying idol meat, right? Church is losing its mind. And this half over here is, you are blasphemous. And this half over here, it's sacrilegious. Like, I don't want to, I'm not stopping. So who's right? Church is up in arms. So when Paul gets to this letter, I'm telling you, people were like, oh, yeah. I mean, there's, there's people in the church literally with their steak ready, like, oh, say the word, say the word, right? Before he gives his ruling, watch what he does. Brilliant. Before he talks about who's right, who's wrong, he talks about the attitude with which we come together to discuss these things. Now, concerning food sacrifice to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. And you can almost hear the cheers, right? Because the emphasis everybody hears when you say we all possess knowledge, the emphasis is on us. Yeah, we all possess knowledge. So therefore, you know, because everybody hears what they want to hear. Paul's about to say our side's right. We possess the knowledge. And he's like, yeah, we've got the knowledge. So Paul says, yeah, this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Ooh, snap. See what he did? He says, you guys have all this quote-unquote knowledge. All your knowledge did is inflate your ego, and you don't have a shred of love. The Christian, fundamental Christian doctrine is not one of who has better knowledge. It's love. You've forgotten love. So if anyone imagines that he knows something, he doesn't yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he's known by God. So you see that the first thing he says is before we even talk about who's right and who's wrong, all y'all need to simmer down. Isn't he right? Have you ever seen that? It, when there's a, a, a church fight, the first thing is everybody thinks they're speaking for God. They're speaking for God. No, we're speaking for God. Meanwhile, God's like, none of you are speaking for me because I would speak in love. And so the first thing he says is let's have, all have a shred of humility. Then we can talk about the issue. So now that we all have a little humility, now that everybody simmers down, takes a step back, then he addresses the issue. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, here it goes, we know that an idol has no real existence and there is no God but one. And already you hear this half of the church be like, yes, see, idols aren't real. For although, he, he, he doubles down, for although there may be so-called 
you know, quote-unquote lowercase g gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many quote-unquote gods and many lords, lowercase, yet for us there's one God, the Father, from whom all things, all things including meat, hello, like including this idol, everything belongs to God. You can hear them. They're just erupting. The guy who's reading it can barely get the rest of the verses out because this half is like, in your face, legalists. Yet for us there's one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Boom! Mic drop! There you have it! And that's amazing, by the way, considering Paul's Jewish background. But he knows you are free in Christ. Idols are not real. They're just blocks of stone and wood. So you are absolutely free to eat the meat. So he answers it with, these people are correct. And they're like, yeah, you know, tonight we feast, you know. And they're so excited they got freedom in Christ. And I told you you guys were being legalistic. So that settles it, right? End of story. Paul says, not so fast. The showstoppers, verse 7. However, not all possess this knowledge. What do you mean? Well, some, but some through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Now look, food will not commend us to God. We're no worse off if we do not eat, no better off if we do. Jesus settled that in Mark 7 when he declared all foods clean. But take care. So you have a right to do it. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Verse 10, for if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your quote-unquote knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother from whom Christ died. In other words, come on, Christ gave up his life for this person. You won't give up your dinner plans. Thus, sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, and Paul takes all of chapter 9 to talk about, he's saying, I live this out, you know. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Paul says, I will become a vegetarian before I hurt a baby Christian, a weak Christian. Incredible. Yes, Christian, you are absolutely free to eat that food that's been offered to idols. And I hope that as a truly free person, you freely choose to restrict that freedom and not exercise it. Why? Because there are baby Christians. It's not just about you. There are weak Christians that are going to be so confused by what you're doing. They just got saved out of idolatry. They, got, they just got saved out of all this darkness. And now you're telling them that they should go back in. Because for you it's nothing. But they, they don't have that maturity yet. And you're going to completely cause them to, to stumble All because you wanted your rights more than you cared about your brother or your sister. Uh, Don't misunderstand. These verses are easy to misunderstand, by the way. Do not misunderstand. Some people think this means don't do anything that might ever offend another Christian who has a strong conviction that you don't hold. That's not what this is saying. Because if you think it's saying this, don't do anything that might offend another Christian with a strong conviction, good luck with that. You know, go 24 hours, okay? But that's the point. They have a strong conviction. Paul's not worried about them. You're not worried about offending another brother. You're both mature. You have a strong conviction. You have a strong conviction. You disagree. Fine, get along. It's the church. God gave us the church to practice love. Let's go, okay? What he's saying is, what about those baby Christians? What about new Christians? 
So you got it? A young Corinthian man or a young Corinthian woman has lived a life of partying in the idol's temple. That's all they've ever known. And they've gone all in on the idolatry. First they'd bring out the food. The priest would chant. There, eating in front of that idol, it was almost as if you were asking the God to to dine with you, and you really believed all that stuff. And then you knew that, remember, this this idol's temple was not just about the banquet. Uh, Afterward, out back were the prostitutes. Right after the banquet were the temple prostitutes, and they would ply their trade for a little extra money devoted to the God or to the God's temple. And that whole world of darkness and debauchery, and now even the smell of the meat. You got saved just like that. You You were justified. You got radically saved. Someone shared with you the good news of the gospel, and you were saved immediately a guilty sinner declared innocent in the sight of God but your conscience is still so weak it's going to take a long time for your maturity and your sanctification to catch up and you're teetering on the edge of your faith you're a brand new Christian and you got all these friends that are from your old way of life that are trying to get you to come back in the idol's temple what you need in that moment the last thing you need would be for a Christian that you look up to to come to you and say let's go to the idol's temple you know you're free in Christ come on don't you know that haven't you read Galatians I think it's been written. I'm trying to first, well, yeah, come on, you know, let's go. No, you don't need that. What you need is a Christian with enough good sense and maturity to say, whether we're free to do that or not, why don't we go have peanut butter and jelly sandwiches down by the Corinthian seashore instead? Why? Maturity. Yes, you're free to eat this meat sacrificed to idols. No, you, should res- you shouldn't. You should restrict that freedom if it's going to cause your baby brother, your, your, your baby sister to stumble. So on the back of your bulletin, you'll see each one has a principle and an application. The principle is love. Do not cause the weak to stumble. Do not cause the weak to stumble. And the application question should be obvious. Will this cause new Christians to stumble? Uh. I said already, there's many modern-day applications of this. And um, in, uh, uh, if, if I make an application that's too on the nose, it defeats my purpose. I'm not trying to make a ruling on any Christian gray area. I'm trying to give God's people a tool for discernment. So I'll use one that uh, I don't think will cross too much paths with uh, Coleman, Alabama. But in, um, in New York City, one of the hotly debated issues among Christians was this. Right or wrong? Is it a sin for a Christian to do yoga. I know, right? Some of you are like, what? Why? Um, uh, some of you are like, if I try it, something will snap. So yes. It's a, um, so that was, a, that was a big deal. Why? I, it would never cross my mind, right? Um, yoga, I just think of it as like a form of exercise. I think it's stretching mainly. It's just stretching and, and try to relax and everything. Uh, but our church was filled with people from Southeast Asia. And a lot of them had been converted out of Hinduism. And for them, it wasn't just stretching. The whole act, it was a spiritual uh, connection. And so for them, they could not easily decouple what is just the stretching and the exercise and has all these health benefits or whatever from this is idol worship. This, is, this has a pagan element. And so watch, watch. So the immature response would have been, idols aren't real. Hello? So get with the program. Grow up, legalists, and let's do some yoga. Or whatever. That was my, my, only, my only yoga move, I'm pretty sure, is not, in fact, a yoga Very immature, right? The mature response is what? Huh. We're probably free in Christ to do this. But you know what? Let's just go play softball. Like, there's other things we can do to accomplish uh, 
you know, exercise and all that. And so it's like, yeah, we can choose not to do Let me ask you something. Could our, could our nation not use the first part of the Corinthian grid right now? I mean, the way we, we uh, talking down to each other and the, the kind of humility it takes and to say, yeah, every, everybody in 2021, it's all you hear about. I got my rights, my rights, my rights. Who's the one who's saying, hey, and I'm going to exercise my right to subjugate, to, to, to not exercise my right. Why? Because the only thing I care more about than my rights is my brother. I love him. And I don't want to cause some baby. It's not just about me. It's about the people coming after me. Okay. So that's the first principle. Now, I, I told the first service, the first one takes the lion's share. Uh, and I promise you, the others in this, we will go quickly. They will not take nearly that long. I furthermore promise you that if it does start to take that long, we'll stop and come back next week <laughs> and pick up where we left off. But the next we can move through quickly. But the first one takes a long time because you're laying the groundwork for here's how the Corinthian grid works. So you take it through that. Second principle. In fact, these next three we can do super quick because we covered these verses last week. Remember? It goes back to 1 Corinthians 6. All things are lawful for me. Hey, Christian, technically uh, you're not under law. You're under grace. So what is lawful for you? Everything. Uh, I'm sorry. Did you just say everything? I didn't. The Bible did. Yeah. Yep. Everything. So the question then, if all things are lawful, a truly free person doesn't ask, well, what can I get away with? You know, uh, what, what's the line and how close can I get to the line before I cross it? Not sin, not sin, not sin, sin. Okay, how do I stay right there on that? No, that's the wrong question. You shouldn't ask, what can I get away with? All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. Not all things are beneficial. Another translation says not all things are profitable. So does everyone know the difference between lawful and helpful? Is there a law in this country at the federal, state, or municipal level? I ask you. There's some uh, uh, attorneys and, and, and judges and, and police force in here. I'm, I'm asking you, honestly, is there a law? I ask you, is there anywhere on s- the statutes, is there anything in the penal code of the federal government or the state of Alabama or our city that says that I, as a grown man, cannot for breakfast, lunch, and dinner eat nothing but a bag of Cheetos and a two liter of Coke three times a day? Is that against the law in this country? No, it is not. USA. USA, <laughs> a great country, <laughs> okay? Yeah? It's not against the law. All things are lawful. Is it beneficial? Hmm? In six months when they examine my uh, corpse (laughs) and they see the colon in an explosion of Cheetos dust, everybody with me? Like you'll understand the difference between lawful and helpful. The wrong question is, what can I get away with as a Christian? Listen to me, you're free. So the wrong question is, what can I get away with? The right question is, what's going to profit my relationship with Christ? Do you have any uh, principle? Do things, the principle is, do things that will profit my relationship with Christ. So the application question, at the end of the day, the Corinthian grid is really six questions. The application is, does this profit my relationship with Christ? Again, examples abound. I picked a silly one. Um, there is no law that a Christian may not listen to secular music. You are absolutely free in Christ to listen to secular music. Uh, what the Corinthian grid tries to get you to think about, though, is what is helpful versus what can you get away with. And a special word to those of you who not only wear headphones. Some of you wear big headphones that look like Princess Leia, you know, the hair on the... Um, but others of you don't. You have AirPods. You ever think about what an AirPod is? Just stay with me for a second. You take an electronic device that will send you impulses, and you don't just put it near your head. 
or on your head. You, do you understand what you're doing? You're literally taking an electronic device. You're like, no, that's not close enough. I want you to go all the way into my brain. If I said church on the way out, I'd like everyone to pick out an electronic chip that will uh, give you impulses and tell you things throughout the week, and I'd like you to insert it in your head. You'd be like, that's market of beast stuff. I'm leaving this church. I'm never coming back, and I'm suing our preacher. That's literally what you do every time you put in an AirPod. You, you understand? What's my point? Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Do what will profit your relationship with Christ. Think about the podcast you listen to, the music you listen to. Am I saying, did your preacher say it's wrong to listen to secular music? No! You're free in Christ! What would your preacher say? He said you'll have a very different day if it starts, I raise a hallelujah, or starts date night at Applebee's. You're going to have a different, it's going to be a different day. It's a different day. I, I, listen, life is short. I want to do things that profit my relationship with Christ. And if Jackie's craving Applebee's, that would probably profit my relationship with Christ. I don't know. You got it. It's discernment. Everybody see? You're absolutely free in Christ. So don't ask, what can I get away with? Ask, what's going to benefit me? Number three, all things are lawful. This is the next verse. All things are lawful for me. Ah, but I will not be dominated by anything. What's he saying? Simple. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Oh, church, guard that precious liberty with your life. Because there are things that, yes, you can do. Yes, you have liberty to do as a Christian, but they have an addictive element to them. And Paul says, I don't want to yield control of my life to anyone or anything except Jesus Christ. So the principle, do not allow yourself to be mastered by anything except Christ. The application question, could this master me or get me in its control? Or another way to frame this, does this have an addictive element to it? Uh, by the way, if I go too fast, this is not like school at all. You may absolutely copy off your neighbor. It's encour- Jesus wants us to share. It's, it's encouraged, and you're allowed to do that, and you won't get detention. Got it? Could this master me and get me in its control? The fourth part of the grid we covered last week, 1 Corinthians 6, 18 and 10, 14, flee from sexual immorality. Therefore, my beloved, he says in 1014, flee from idolatry. The point here is obvious. When it comes to sexual immorality or idolatry, idolatry, the modern day grasping for, um, by the way, idolatry is trusting in anyone or anything to save you more than God. Trusting in anyone or anything to save you more than God. So if you're starting to think that money is your savior or power is your savior or prestige or status, the question is not how closely involved in these things can I be When it comes to sexual immorality, the question is not, as teenagers often ask, how far is too far? The question should never be, how close can I get to the line of impurity? The question is, how hard and fast can I run toward the holiness of God? Flee sexual immorality. Flee from idolatry. So the principle, do not put yourself in situations of obvious temptation. Guys, life is hard enough And it's hard enough when Satan tempts you. Don't, like, tempt yourself. (laughs) See? That's just common sense. Don't put yourself in situations of obvious temptation. So the application, does this tempt me against God's will? The most obvious, to me, the most obvious example on the planet would be these two things. One is, I say, obvious. The other, I think, is less obvious. The first would be this, substance abuse. An alcoholic simply should just probably not hang out in a bar. Someone who is addicted to the approval of others probably should just not get on social media. 
First one's obvious to us. Second one, we're probably a little blind to it. But you have people all the time who wrestle with comparison, gossip, anxiety, and right there they go to social media over and over and over again and they don't see the connection. That they're over and over putting themselves. You literally struggle with gossip. Mm, let me check gossip blog, dot Facebook, dot, oh, it's all the same, right? You, come on, you're putting yourself in a situation of obvious temptation. I struggle with the approval of others. Let me go check how many likes I got. Eh. See, the Corinthian grid can help you start to process things that you otherwise are blind to. That's the, th- that's the crazy thing about the Corinthian grid. It's not a new law. How many times can I say it? It's not, well, Pastor Tom said we're not under the law, but he gave us these six steps that now, no, this is a discernment tool. Who knows what will happen when you take these issues through the grid? You may discover that some things you always thought were wrong are not, in fact, wrong, and things you always thought were right, maybe not. Some of you are going to go home and sell some of your sweaters. He's right. I don't need more than five sweaters, not when there are poor people in the world who need my sweaters. Why should a Christian ever own more than five sweaters? I can hear it already. So your preacher said, let me say, secular music's wrong and sweaters are of the devil? (laughs) Yes, yes, that's what I was saying. Uh, The uh, the, uh, temptation to be misunderstood is so high. Let's keep going. Uh, The fifth part of the grid, it comes from a continuation of Paul's extended discussion on food sacrifice to idols. And he takes all of chapter 9 to say, look, I'm not just preaching this stuff, I'm living it. And all chapter 9, he goes through and he says, here are all the things I have a right to as an apostle. I have a right to take a salary. I have a right to get paid. I have a right to, to get married. I can take a wife. I have chosen not to do those things. I've chosen to remain single. I've chosen to be utterly bivocational. I'm going to be a tent maker. I've chosen to do all these things. Why? Because any one of these things may be a hindrance to my ultimate goal, which is reaching others for Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians 9, 19. For though I am free from all... How many times can I say this? If you are a Christian, you need to hear, you are free from all. Do what Paul did. Though he's free from all, he made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. He says, to the Jew, I became like a Jew. To the Greek, like the Greek. I'm not worried about what I have a right to do. I'm worried about reaching people. What does he mean by that? In other words, look, he was converted. So when he would try to evangelize Jewish people, he would go out to eat with them. He wouldn't order a bunch of non-kosher food. Here, let's have a bunch of pork and barbecue and ham and bacon, and let's eat together and talk about the gospel. No. Why? Is he not free? Didn't, didn't Jesus say in Mark 7, all that food is fine? Yes, and Paul knows he's free. He will even preach this very strongly to some people in Galatia who have not gotten the message yet. They're absolutely free. And here's what he'll do. He'll restrict his own freedom. And he'll choose as a free person not to operate that freedom. And he'll eat perfectly kosher food. Why? To the Jew, I became like a Jew. I'm just trying to win the Jew. And when then, when he gets invited to the Gentiles, he's not going to do the same thing in reverse. He's not going to sit down with some Gentiles and be like, I can't eat this. This food was sacrificed to idols. I won't even want, I don't want to be with you. I don't want to hang out with you, right? No. To the Gentile, I became like a Gentile. Why? That I might reach the Gentiles. His main concern is not his appetite. His main concern is, can we reach one more for Jesus? So he writes, to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. And now we come back to where we started, the principle. Well, the principle is love. Do all things for the sake of reaching others with Christ. Let that be the overarching concern of the life of a free Christian. Do all things for the sake of reaching others for Christ. The application question should be obvious. Does this help or hinder me in reaching others with Christ? So many examples. Uh, 
the, the one that, again, comes to mind, <clears throat> um, cross-cultural missions. So you may not know this. This summer, just months ago, in June, your church, Coleman First Baptist Church, our church, we sent a mission team to New York City. And that mission team uh, was partnered with Urban Nations Outreach, a ministry that I got the great privilege of being a part of uh, while we were there. And um, uh, uh, long story short, the mission of Urban Nations Outreach is fascinating. You know, New York City is a city filled with immigrants, and many of these immigrants come from closed countries to the gospel. The missions term for this is 1040 window countries. These are countries that you could be in big trouble for trying to go as a missionary. It's very difficult. We still have to go, but it's very difficult and costly. And yet, the God loves them so much. If we can't get to them, here's what I believe. God in his great love brought them to a free country where we can preach the gospel. We used to say in New York, the Great Commission says, go ye therefore into all the world. But in New York, all the world has come to ye. So what are you going to do? You've got to reach them, right? And so by English classes and friendship and developing relationships, we, uh, th- this ministry aims to reach particularly Muslims and convert them to the love of Jesus Christ. Everybody with me? The mission team goes... And if you know anything about Muslim culture, you know that modesty is a big deal. And so everyone on the mission team, and going to New York, and remember this is the middle of June, is uh, anytime they're ministering anywhere, going to be with these, they're wearing long pants. Long pants in June in New York. New York is not the frozen tundra, okay? It's still very hot, right? And here is our sweet little team from Alabama. And these Alabama people know that they're absolutely free in Christ to wear some shorts, it's hot in Alabama, right? And you start to think about it. How dare somebody tell them that they can't wear shorts? And it's really hot in New York. And you do a lot of walking in New York. It's not like you can get in your air-conditioned truck and drive from place to place there. You have to get an air-conditioned car and drive from place to place. And so you know, you're, you're burning up. And, you, and, who, and who is anybody to tell you that you can't wear pants? And why should we do this? These are Muslim people. Why should we let their laws determine what we do? I'll tell you exactly why they wore pants. Love. Because they cared more about reaching these people than about their right for comfort. See, they gave up that freedom. They gave up that right. It's a simple example. It's a silly example. But don't you see how that could be applied in so many places in your life? By the time Paul gets to the end of chapter 10, Remember, chapter 8, 9, and 10 is all one big section. He's making one big point. He returns finally to the issue of food sacrifice to idols. And it's almost like the Holy Spirit leads him to sum up everything he said with one massive comment. One massive verse. In fact, if you're here today and you're like, yeah, I, uh, I can tell you right now, preacher, I'm not going through all six questions. You lost me. Uh, could you just do it in one? Yes. And it's this verse. Paul says, so then. You can almost hear the exasperation. Look, 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 look. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or, like, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Yes, you have freedom. Yes, there'll be times to limit that freedom out of love. Yes, there'll be times to continue in your Christian freedom and not worry about the the legalistic scruples of someone who gets offended over everything. Yes, there are times when you will, in fact, need to limit your freedom because of the stumbling block to the weak. But do it for the glory of God. The glory of God, John Piper says, is the going public of God's infinite worth. The going public of his infinite worth. In other words, is what you're doing causing more and more people to say, how great is our God? Will it lead more people to say, how great is our God? Or will it just glorify you? 
So the simplest way to put it is this, and I, I, I do understand that if you do the fill-in-the-blank note-style sermon notes, you run a very serious risk that once you give people the final blank, you may not be through, but they will most certainly be through with the sermon. So I, but here's the final blank. The principle is do everything for the glory of God. The application question couldn't be simpler. Does this glorify God? And now you have in your hands a Corinthian grid. We thought that this might be helpful to uh, not just stay right here, but for those watching online or, or for other folks. And so what we've done is we have got these printed up in full color. And to everyone who comes back next Sunday... See what I did there? Uh, you will get a, um, a full color, nice, attractive version of the Corinthian grid. Not like what you have, which is scribbled with all your notes. And that, that's great. But if you'd like a, a professionally printed graphic of the Corinthian grid, that you may, see it's the Sunday before Thanksgiving week, so you may take that and put it on your refrigerator, or you may give it to your college student who's home <laughs> uh, for Thanksgiving and say, you ha- yes, you must, Right? Uh, but you do that, and you can get lots of copies, um, and, and, and that's it. Why? It's meant to be a tool to help you discern. Take something through the grid. Ask yourself, okay, I got an issue. Pastor, I can actually apply this on the way to Sunday school. I can just think through this. Okay, what is it? Well, hey, here's the deal. Uh, I'm going to ask you, well, does it cause, would it cause new Christians to stumble? No, I don't think so. I don't, nobody, I, you know, okay. Well, does it profit my relationship with Christ? Yeah, it's probably neutral. Then could it master me and get me its control? No, it's not really an addictive thing. Does it tempt me against God's will? No, I don't, I don't think so. Does it help or hinder me reaching others for Christ? I mean, it's neutral at best, maybe helps me. Does it glorify God? Yeah, I mean, I receive it in gratitude. I think it glorifies God. Then I'm gonna look at you straight in the eyes and say, brother, you are free in Christ. Enjoy your issue. Whatever it is, do it for the glory of God and enjoy it. Live like the free. You're absolutely free. And I celebrate with you your freedom. And don't let anybody put on you a yoke of legalism that God hasn't asked you to carry. If, however, you come to me and say, well, I got this issue. Will it cause new Christians to stumble? Yeah, I notice when I do it, people want to follow Satan. Well, uh, yeah. Does it profit my relationship with Christ? Nah. Could it master me? Yeah, I'm thinking about it right now. In fact, I'm addicted. Does it tempt me against God's will? Yeah. Does it help or hinder me? No, no, no. It destroys my witness. Does it glorify God? No, it only, just, it only glorifies me. Then I will look at you right in the eyes and say, you're free in Christ, but I see some red flags. <laughs> Why you wouldn't want to do that? But what I'll never tell you is, you're not free. You must. You can't. You're free. So live like the free. And free people don't ask, what can I get away with? Free people ask, hey, life is short. How can I glorify God with my one life to live? See? Musicians are going to come and uh, lead. Brendan, thank you. And uh, uh, as he comes and and prepares, I want us to prepare our heart for an invitation. And I have to say this. I have to say this. I joked earlier about the misunderstandings. Your preacher's against this, against this, against this. Go back and listen to the sermon again. Uh, if, if you heard me say that this is wrong, this is wrong, you, you misunderstood. I, this is a tool for discernment, okay? But I joked about that because that's not the real misunderstanding. The real misunderstanding would be if somebody was here this morning and they're not yet a believer, they're not yet a follower of Jesus. I, I wrestled long and hard. Part, part of me thinks you should tear the Corinthian grid up. If you don't tear it up, at least I would say lock it away 
Lock it away for a while. It will not benefit you. It will not help you. Why? Because the Corinthian grid is only, only a tool for those who are free in Christ about how to discern, how to use that freedom. If you're right now not a believer, the Bible says you're not free. And the worst thing that could happen is if you left here and been like, well, I heard the Bible's just a bunch of rule book, and I heard you're supposed to figure out what the right thing to do is and go do it, and I'll never measure up, and I won't do those right things. You have utterly misunderstood. The Bible's not a rule book. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. The Bible is the story of how God, God makes this perfect world, He makes this perfect place, and how the people that God made enslaved themselves and and imprisoned themselves into disobedience and by breaking God's law and breaking his heart were were enslaved and bound up sin and death and Satan and there in the cold clutches of the enemy with no hope the last thing that sinner needed would be for a preacher to be like here here's the Corinthian grid here this may help it won't help at all nothing will help except God himself coming as a rescuer. Now that would help. And God came as a rescuer in that baby in Jesus and he grew up and lived a sinless life and he died a sinner's death on the cross. We sang about it. You heard our brother sing. It was his mercy, not my good behavior to follow or not follow a Corinthian grid or a Galatians graph or any of it. It was his mercy. And his mercy can do what nothing else can. It can set the prisoner free. If you're not yet in Christ, you're not yet free, but you could be today. Won't you receive him? Won't you receive the good news of salvation, the free salvation? And then once you're saved, you know what you might need? You might need some training wheels on how to, how to start living this Christian life. Come see me. I'll give you a Corinthian grid. See? That's for free people. Okay? Until then, you need the freedom offered in Jesus Christ. Not a, not a list, not a, not a bunch of principles. You need him. So receive him today. Christians, growing in maturity, Take the grid. Be blessed by it. Those that are lost, receive him today. Let's stand to our feet. Scott will be here to receive any who come. Oh, Lord Jesus, grant us wisdom and discernment. Oh, God, thank you for 1 Corinthians. Thank you, oh, Lord, for uh, we need wisdom. We need the principles that the Bible distills. We need, well, we need discernment. And God, grant us conviction and the ability to uh, restrict freedom. It's so difficult but grant that we could restrict freedom for love and others and glory of you i pray if anybody here doesn't know you or they hear this online one day i I pray it would touch their heart to know they're not yet free but they can be free indeed in you let them be saved we ask this in jesus name amen